This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 127, Yoga for Healthy Aging. Whether or not you consider yourself aging, although technically we all are, and independently of your actual age, you're probably looking forward in your life and hoping for health, wellness, and longevity. What matters more than our age, I mean the number, is how we feel. If you are on a journey to continue to feel your best for as long as possible, then today's episode is for you, no matter your age. For this episode, I sat down with Baxter Bell. Baxter is an MD, family doctor. He's a medical acupuncturist, a yoga teacher, and a licensed yoga therapist. He served as director of Piemont Yoga School's Deep Yoga program for many years, teaching the experiential anatomy, yoga technique, and yoga mythology portion of the training, And he's on the faculty for several yoga teacher training and yoga therapy trainings around the U.S. He's also the co-author with Nina Zolotov of the book Yoga for Healthy Aging, hence her subject of today. And he has written articles for yoga publications such as the Yoga Journal and the International Journal of Yoga Therapy. Before we get to today's episode, have you participated in our giveaway already? Rebecca Pollock from episode 125 has generously offered to give you guys two copies of her coloring books on the Yoga Sutras. To enter the giveaway, you had two options. Number one, you could leave a review on iTunes for the podcast in general. Then take a screenshot and email it to me just so I have your email info if I want to reach out to you because you won. The other option for you is to take a screenshot of you watching or listening to the episode on your phone, sharing it on Instagram and tagging at on and off your mat podcast. And I will announce the winner on the next episode. So next Monday. All right, let's get to our episode today with Baxter. Hi, Baxter. Hi, Erica. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm, I'm delighted to be with you. So for listeners that don't know you very well, can we start by you giving a little bit about yourself and your yoga journey? Sure. So at the I'm pres- sure there's a lot to say, but cliff notes. <laughs> I know I have to, like, what do I actually want to share about that? I know. Um, so what I will say is I now live in Oakland, California, and I've lived here for, wow, 22 years. It's hard to imagine. And prior to that, I lived in the Midwest. I was born in Toledo, Ohio. I uh, moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, and Southern Ohio, kind of the other end of the state, to do my college and my medical school training. And I was in practice as a family doctor for about a decade. About halfway through that period of practice, um, I discovered yoga and started to practice yoga. And eventually, I got the bug and I, mm-hmm. I started doing some studying with a guy named Rodney Yee, which I'm sure some of your listeners will know. And, sure. um, you know, he and I had a conversation on a retreat once and he said, have you ever thought about being a yoga teacher? And I hadn't. And it planted an interesting seed in my mind. And I was it was at a time when obviously change was important. And I made a big shift and moved from the Midwest to California to study in the program that he put together uh, with a really stellar group of teachers at that time. Mary Pafford, who's from England originally and is a, just a lovely teacher influenced a lot by the Buddhist tradition. Patricia Sullivan, also deeply immersed in Buddhist studies. Uh, Her ex-husband was one of the main people at the Zen Center in San Francisco for many years. And Richard Rosen, who has authored many books on pranayama and all things And we've had on the podcast, too. Oh, you had? Oh, my God, that's so great. So he was my mentor in my training program. And then I eventually I started working for him and then I started working with him. And so now we're, you know, friends and colleagues. So uh, anyway, that was the start of my yoga training. 
And that was in 2000 and started teaching after that. And with my medical background, I was interested already in the therapeutic applications of yoga and started doing work around teaching experiential anatomy to yoga teachers. And then eventually started, you know, reading about and getting involved in the International Association of Yoga Therapists and eventually started working in that realm as well. So I started seeing individuals for private yoga therapy sessions and uh, continue to teach yoga and teach to teachers and teach to yoga therapy trainees. And so I, you know, I just, I do all kinds of stuff related to yoga these days. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> so within the realm of the therapeutic yoga, we wanted to focus a part of our conversation today on yoga for healthy aging. So before we really dive in, what does it mean to you to age in a healthy way? Like what is healthy aging versus unhealthy aging? Yeah. Yeah. So healthy aging is proactive. I'm choosing mm -hmm. to actually engage in certain habits or activities that I at least believe are going to support my overall well-being over time. As opposed to some people might choose to say, you know, I'm living my life, I'm doing my work, I'm raising my family, but they're not actually directing very much energy back to supporting their own well-being over time. And so people can have kind of a, an interesting, rich, full life in some ways, but they may actually kind of age in a way that isn't going to like support them as they get into their 50s and 60s and 70s very well. So aging well is proactive. And some of the things we might think about is kind of trying to, and, we, and I talk about this in the book, Yoga for Healthy Aging, but it, it, the idea of kind of diminishing the amount of time that I spend in ill health or in poor health, right? And again, that's a proactive yeah. thing. So I do things that minimizes the amount of time I'm going to have to spend in my lifetime. I don't know how long that is, but I'm going to try and minimize the amount of time that I'm in poor health, that I'm either acutely ill or I've got a lingering chronic problem. Maybe I'm battling a cancer diagnosis for a while. I'm going to try and do what I can to minimize that time and maximize the time when I'm actually in good health, when I'm actually healthy. So I'm minimizing the morbidity, the ill time in my life, and I'm maximizing my health span, my health, mm. my healthy lifespan. Yeah. Yeah, so that, so I like that because it, it makes it that you don't have to wait to be in the later season of your life to practice yoga <laughs> for healthy aging, right? So I think people assume that it's like, I'm going to do this when I'm older, right. but it's about that longevity and it takes time to build it and to keep your wellness going instead of dealing with it later. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And, you know, early on when um, the co-author of the book, Nina Zolotov and I were involved in a blog by the same name of Yoga of Healthy Aging, you know, we had someone reach out to us in her mid-20s, and she was actually a podcaster and a blogger. And she goes, I, I'm really jazzed about this topic. And we're like, why? And she goes, well, I'm getting older, aren't I? And we were like, yes, because, you know, we didn't want to like preach that from the mount necessarily, but it was so cool that somebody got it on their own and was reaching out and saying, I want to learn more about this. I'd love to have a conversation with you about this idea of yoga for healthy aging. Yeah, it's like anything. It's like if I want to be a good downhill skier, if I start when I'm four years old and my parents go, let's get that kid on the hill now, I'm more likely to be really skilled and good at it for a longer period of time, right? I started skiing when I was like 20, 21, and I never got very good. I mean, I was okay, but, you know, it was like, it was a little too, you know, so we can actually take, the earlier we take advantage, I think the greater the potential benefit over time. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And at the same time, for listeners that are in their 40s or 50s that haven't started yoga, what do you say if they're like, well, is it too late for me? Like, what do I do now? There's a great example from the yoga world that we can actually talk about. And there was a, uh, a woman in her late 40s living in uh, Italy, and she became exposed to the work of BKS Iyengar and also Krishnamurti, who was a philosopher at the time when she was a, a middle-aged woman. And she got really excited about this. Her name was Vanda Scaravelli. And she started at age 49, I believe, is when she started practicing yoga. Now, she had done other things when she was younger, but she, that's when she took it up, right? And she not only became kind of a masterful teacher of yoga, she ended up writing a very influential book about yoga. And she continued to practice for, for many, many years after she started practicing. So she's basically 50 she starts doing yoga and it has a huge and powerful impact on her life. So, no, there's really, you know, there's no, you can't be too young to start yoga and you can't be too <laughs> old to start yoga. Right. I mean, that's the cool thing about this. Right, Erica, you probably have seen this also with people that you work with and have, have studied with and have you've taught. But it's people put up a lot of barriers right in their own minds to why they can't be starting yoga. And a lot of it has <laughs> nothing to do with yoga and has a lot to do with, you know, other things in their life. But, you know. The good news is anybody can actually do yoga. Maybe in that case, it's about choosing the right practice for you. I mean, at any age, that's the case, but yeah. more particularly if you're a later season in your life. Right. Because, you know, I hear a lot of people tell me the story of their first experiences with yoga where they maybe didn't actually go to the most appropriate class for them at that stage in their life. And they didn't have a yeah. good experience. And it was five, six, 10 years before they try decided to give it a try again. And, you know, I obviously... The yoga community, well, I, I can't even say the yoga community. I think that a lot of yoga traditions do a pretty good job trying to tell people where they might fit in appropriately. But the yoga, uh, the business of yoga doesn't do that because they simply want everybody to try it right now, right? So it's kind of indiscriminate in how it's, it's marketed, whereas we could be much more helpful to people. If we said, you know, just like drugs that are advertised on TV, right? There's always that caveat that goes on for like five minutes. If you're age 16 over, look for a class called Silver. You know what I mean? We could have that little guy talking really fast at the end, trying to direct people to the right class, right? Yoga, <laughs> it's great for everybody. Not to be done after dinner, but you know, whatever, you know, and that whole thing would be amazing. But we haven't gotten there quite yet. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I think like if we want to encourage people to come to class, we have to keep it simple. There's so many options and so many styles and to have too many choices is overwhelming for a lot of people so they wouldn't start. So at the same time, there's like an issue there, right? You're like, okay, yeah. it might not be the right first class for you, but at least you showed up. Do you know, like, can you ask a teacher for something that is more in line with what you need? Like, can we get the tools, even though maybe you went to the not best option for you to right. know at least that all yoga is not this one that you've done and all that is thought out there is not only this. So there's such a big area of styles and of teachers within the same styles that are going to teach you pretty yeah. differently yeah. the you practice. Know, as you were saying that, Eric, I was thinking that it would be such a great skill for yoga teachers to develop that if they have a new student in class, we have no idea if this is the right class for them. They've shown up. Maybe we actually are teaching at a studio and they simply went to the front desk and the desk sent them to our class, right? So we didn't get to have a conversation necessarily 
to sense whether or not what we were going to offer was going to be appropriate. But we could actually be skillful at the conclusion of the class. I mean, I also say hello to everybody that comes to a new class and I, I ask them if they have injuries. I ask them, you know, what they're hoping to get out of a, a yoga practice if they're brand new to class. So I do take a, a couple minutes to talk with them, but it might not be enough time to really know if it's right. But after class, we could, if we had the humility to be okay with it not being the greatest thing for that person, to say to that person, tell me a little bit about your experience today. I'm curious if it felt like it was too much or too little for what you were looking for. Did you experience discomfort or pain? Was that a barrier to you wanting to come back? Or did it feel like really gentle and really good in your body? So maybe a couple of very thoughtful questions that you could ask the person at the end. And then at the end of that gathering of that information, you might say to them, if it's clear that this was not the best fit for them, you might at least know someone else in your studio who they could practice with. Or you might know yeah. about another a studio in the community that offers stuff that's just right for them. So, you know, I think if we think about, if we as yoga teachers can say to ourselves, you know, let's hope the pie is big enough for all of us that we're going to have enough students to work with. And I, and I think it is that we can actually be savvy practitioners and really get people to the person they need to work with. Mm -hmm. That'd be mm -hmm. awesome. I mean, I mean it'd be a really lovely thing to see happening. So, you know, if there are yoga teachers listening to this and you don't already do that, could you kind of fit that into your way of working with folks? And number one, the students are going to be really appreciative if you acknowledge that, wow, I can see this might not have been the perfect fit for you today. Here are some other options for you that you might think about. Or like I have a back care. It benefits everybody. Right. It benefits everyone. I mean, I have a back health class that I teach. It's not exactly like my other classes, but people don't always know that. Right. So I might say, if you're looking for something a little gentler, come to that class and try that out. If that doesn't work, we'll find something else for you. Right. So, you know, find the right fit for folks. It'd be a beautiful thing for them because it's going to get them doing yoga now, keep them doing yoga. And then we get that cumulative benefit. Uh, there's, a exactly. couple of there's a couple of studies that were done that actually looked at the dose of yoga in terms mm. of the effects. And they found that the more regularly someone practiced, the better the outcomes were. Kind of makes sense, but no one had it studied does. it before that time. And now, like a lot of things, being consistent with your practice typically provides you with more benefits over time. Mm -hmm. And when we're thinking of longevity and wellness and health, that's a good thing. Like we want to go down that route. So what promotes healthy aging and how can their yoga practice help us do that? Yeah. So one of the main things that comes up again and again, and all the research I look at, and I, and I read a lot of research that's not yoga related. I got interested in, as an example, I was talking to one of my acupuncture clients because I do acupuncture also. And, I, and he was telling me that he had recently lost some weight and he used a keto diet. And I've known people that have done keto diets, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to educate myself a little bit more if there's any research on this. And so I spent some time looking at that, right? And so that was important. So I do that with a lot of different things. And for instance, uh, I've been preparing and I recently gave a talk on yoga for brain health as we age. And one of the things that comes up again and again in research that's not yoga related is that consistent physical activity done over time improves cognitive function as we get older. Right now, it doesn't have to be yoga. It could be a regular walking practice or hiking practice or biking practice. Mm -hmm. But there was a beautiful study done in England about, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years ago now, looking at twins, adult twins, and they assessed physical fitness in terms of leg strength. And then they did a bunch of cognitive tests on these people. 
And then 10 years later, they brought them back in. They retested their strength and they retested their cognitive function. The twin that was stronger invariably had better cognitive function, not all the time, but almost all the time, just being physically stronger. So they used that strength as an indication that the person was doing enough physical activity regularly to maintain their strength over a 10-year period. And these were all middle to older age adults, right? And there are other studies that have been done looking at other forms of exercise. There was just an article in the Washington Post about a month or two ago that looked at the VA hospital had done a study looking at several thousand adults, VA patients, and they assessed their cardiovascular fitness and they ranked them as kind of poor, moderate, and good. And then they looked at their likelihood of developing Alzheimer's during the period of the study. And the worse your cardiovascular function was, the more likely you were to develop Alzheimer's in that period. The people that fell into the high category of cardiovascular health were 33% less likely to develop Alzheimer's symptoms, right? So that was a pretty good benefit from that. So here we've got lots of evidence that staying physically active and engaged is going to benefit your brain health as you get older, right? So yoga is beautiful for that because it Mm -hmm. has different qualities of supporting physical fitness. It can be strengthening. It can improve flexibility. It can benefit our balance. It can make us more agile, all these things. It can lower the chances of us falling as we get older, which is a big deal when people fall and break significant bones. It often leads to a a pretty precipitous decline in their health over time uh, and can end up shortening their life. So these are all things that we can keep in mind. So that one factor, maintaining better physical health over time, yoga is excellent at doing that. Mm -hmm. One other factor, and we can come back to that if you want, but one other big factor is the impact of unaddressed stress in people's lives. Right. So we know you read my mind. That's what I was just (laughs) about to say. Perfect. Perfect. So we know also from studies not related to yoga that unaddressed chronic stress leads to a myriad of diseases of aging, right? Hypertension, heart disease, strokes, diabetes, cancer. I mean, everything that we worry about getting when we get older is associated with unaddressed stress in some way. It's a risk factor for all of those things. Does it cause a specific cancer? Not necessarily, but it contributes to the possibility of me getting that cancer down the road, right? It sure does, yeah. Yeah, and the other thing is, over the last 20 years, there's been a growing body of evidence, yoga research, looking at its effect on chronic stress. And we know that it's a beautiful set of tools, right? Because it's got multiple things that it can use to address the stress. It's got physical practices. It's got subtle forms of practices, breath work and meditation. It uses sound at times. It uses service to others at times. And all of these things combined in just the right mixture for that individual who's suffering from chronic stress can actually allow them to manage stress better and therefore reduce that as a risk factor for all those things that tend to make our aging process much less pleasant and possibly Mm -hmm. shortens our life, right? So those two things alone. I mean, if you just said, you know what? I'm going to devote my attention to using my yoga tools to manage stress and to improve my brain health by maintaining my physical fitness, man, you'd be covering a lot of territory just doing that alone, 
right? I mean, like, yeah. you don't have to look any further. We can talk about other stuff. But I mean, that alone would be a great starting place if that motivated you. And a lot of times when I talk to people about yoga for healthy aging, it's like, what motivates you to get up and take action on a given day? For some people, you know, they grew up in a choir, they love to sing, and they find out that there's this whole nada yoga, this whole yoga of sound. And that's what gets them to the mat every day. And then if they do some of the other tools, great, but, you know, at least that anchors them in the yoga, right? So like part of my job, and I think every yoga teacher's job that wants to kind of get into this field or any student of yoga that wants to dive in is you have to say to yourself, what actually gets me excited and gets me involved? Because otherwise, mm -hmm. I may not even ever start this. I mean, so I may go to the class because my buddy said you might not really stick good. with it. I might not stick with it, right? I got to find that thing that really speaks to me individually and then use that to bring all the other things in along for the ride. Yeah, that's super powerful. And it doesn't even include in this discussion self-awareness, embodiment, connection with yourself, with others, with something greater. Those are all other things that are going to affect your stress, are going to affect the way you operate in the world and your wellness or dis-ease. That's right. And, you know, you mentioned this internal awareness that now we've got a fancy term for that, right? We call it interoception. So we mm -hmm. can sound very, very, very astute. But so we've got this word interoception, which means that I'm able to sense what's happening inside my skin more subtly probably more quickly than other people can, right? So mm -hmm. how might that play out in my desire to stay healthy over time? Well, I'm not very good at it. I start doing yoga practice. My teacher continues to remind me to pay attention and notice and feel. I start to notice that I'm actually getting better at this. And I actually have some discussions with my teacher about what I'm discovering. And they're like, yeah, that sounds like you're tuning into this idea. You're, you're getting it, right? And then I start to actually be able to sense things very quickly and early in my body. And then I can be proactive about that. Maybe it's something that doesn't feel quite right to me. And so I go Full ahead circle. and I get that checked out quickly with my family doc. We find something at an early stage that can be treated easily and I can heal from it quickly. And I've, again, compressed the period of time I'm in poor health and expanded the time I can mm -hmm. be in good health, mm -hmm. right? So that I can, you know drop into whatever is the most important thing in my life, whatever really is my life's work, my dharma, and I can give my energy to that as opposed to having to deal with poor health all the time, right? In the best scenario, that's how that yeah. might play out. Yeah. Well, that's another why. That's another reason that, you know, people might want to show up under math. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We talk a lot about the nervous system on this podcast. So do you have a sense of What are the effects of aging on the nervous system particularly or any consideration that we might think about when it comes to yoga and looking for wellness and longevity? Yeah, you know, if we're not doing anything proactively, if we're just kind of going along with the program, whatever that is, you know, I got my job and I got my relationship and I kind of eat a normal American diet. I'm not doing anything special with my diet you know, the effects on the nervous system can be, they're very usually subtle and gradual, but they accumulate over time, right? So by the time you are 50 or 60, you might already start to notice some negative impacts of the aging of the nervous system. Structurally, unaddressed, the brain will start to shrink in certain areas that are essential for good functioning of our brain, right? So the prefrontal cortex that I bet you've talked about on your show and the hippocampus both involved in kind of our executive decision-making, right? Important, you know, conscious decisions that we make and also in forming and storing long-term memory. 
uh, those areas mm-hmm. can shrink. And when they shrink, it means there isn't as much tissue there. There aren't as many neurons. There aren't as many connections as there were before. So that means it's also not only is it structurally changing, but functionally it changes as well, right? It just It's not going to yeah. work as efficiently as it did before. The same- yeah, I read that the information is more slow to travel between the brain and like the motor neurons and right, like back and forth. So your reaction is also slower. I don't know how much like slower we're talking about, but it shows that with time, it's less efficient for sure. Yeah. And even in, if you think about an, uh, its effect on our physical functioning, for example, um, mm-hmm. say that I used to pride myself when I was younger on having really quick reflexes, right? I could hear something and I could respond so quickly that I wasn't going to get hit by the car or the skateboarder wasn't going to freak me out. I could, you know, hear it and react quickly. So as we get older, if the nerves transmissions from our senses to the brain, the brain then taking a little bit of time to interpret what it's receiving and then Mm -hmm. deciding where to send a message out to my periphery, to my muscles and my arms and legs. If that process is slowed even by a second or so, it can can be a huge deal. So for instance, I think that's why a lot of times the reaction times as people get older changes in that way. And so they often fall simply because they weren't able to react as quickly and as as efficiently as they would have before. Mm -mm -mm. Right. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. therefore, they're more likely to have that fall that older adults are prone to, you know. And so, definitely, even though these changes can be subtle, they can actually have pretty profound impacts for people, right? Yeah. Um, so, if, go ahead. Yeah, no, please. I was going to say, so if we're looking at our yoga practice with that in mind, I know it's not a one-size-fits-all, obviously, but can we talk about some examples or some tips? What do people focus on? What do they do? What are they looking for within their practice with that goal of wellness, longevity, taking care of the effects of stress, staying strong and building or continuing to build strength because naturally it decreases with the years? Yeah. Where do they go now that they're like, okay, I'm sold. (laughs) Tell me more. This is great. I want to do this. Yeah. So number one, they have to get my book, as you know. Uh, they have to do of that. Of course. <laughs> uh, Mandatory. And, 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 you know, I chuckle, but I get I get feedback from these teachers that have done my programs before, my training programs. And they're like, I use your book all the time. And I give it to my family and my friends because really it's practically useful. It's got practical value, right? Because it, it kind of gives you a way to address these things we're talking about. So not even not having to get the book, one thing that you can think about is, number one, you can impact the physical aging process by focusing on what I call the four essential physical skills. Maintaining or improving strength, because you can improve your strength, even if you've gotten weak. Maintaining and improving flexibility. Maintaining and improving balance and also agility, right? So, the, And agility is kind of balance in motion, right? Balance coordination. Yeah, coordination. So the yoga is great because we've got a whole huge array of things we can do within our asana practice. Mm-hmm. Another thing we can do is we can minimize our risk of falling as we get older, which is still under that umbrella of things we can do on the physical level. But something that isn't always emphasized in a lot of modern yoga classes, even if they're a flow class where you're moving from one pose to another with the rhythm of your breath, is that oftentimes it's still done at kind of a, a slower, beautiful pace. It's almost like slow motion dance, right? You know, a lot of times. There are a few explosive moments in certain traditions, like in the Ashtanga tradition, there is a quick jump forward and back that can happen that can be kind of explosive. 
But in the other movements, it's often kind of very coordinated and smooth. Sometimes even with the breath slowed down, movements taking five seconds in and out, for example. So one thing I've incorporated over time from exposing myself to Western research is that if I want to keep my fast twitch muscle fibers active over time, because we lose more of those as we age than we do slow twitch muscle fibers, Mm -hmm. that I ought to be doing some explosive movement within my asana practice. So, Mm. So actually, you know, for an example, you're doing some sun salutes. You do the first two or three rounds at a slow pace to gradually warm the body up, release the overnight tension in the body. One of the things that I always had trouble with in the Ashtanga series that I practiced for a while was that immediately I was jumping in and out of these poses and it was like six o'clock in the morning and my body was cold and I was stiff and tight. And I felt like, man, I'm going to pull something here, right? So I say warm up a couple times so that the body is ready and then start to move gradually quicker. You literally move very quickly. You let the breath be quick and you start to deliberately require that your body has quick, agile movements that you do. And therefore, you're adding in some modern understanding to these older practices and you're getting double the benefit, right? You're actually perhaps doing something that's going to allow you to retain your quick reflexes. That's going to allow you to have a a lowered chance of falling over time than if you didn't do things like that. Okay? Yeah. And it will also help your nervous system go back and forth between a more activated state and a more relaxed state, which is also healthy to work that oscillation. So you can switch back and forth efficiently. You're not always in one or the other, but you can switch back forth very efficiently, right? It's a little bit like cultivating equanimity, which is also one of the four pillars of yoga for healthy aging. It's like there's going to be some bad stuff that's going to show up that I don't expect, right? I mean, it happens whether we're 25 or 45 or 65. There's stuff that shows up in our life that we don't want to show up, but there it is anyway, right? Uh, There's a great book by a Buddhist teacher named Who Ordered This Truck Full of Dung? And the image is you wake up in the morning and in front of your beautiful house, there's this giant pile of cow shit that someone dumped in your front yard. And, you know, you got to deal with it because it's there. Right. So, you know, so it's a great image. Right. You will never forget that. And his whole thing is about how his style of Buddhist meditation and the lessons he learned from his teacher, Ajahn Chah, in Thailand are the basis of dealing with those kinds of stressful events. Well, the good news in yoga is that we've got a whole set of tools that actually have been shown to lower stress. So the physical practices actually are helpful for that because we know that physical activity helps to manage stress. But we also have some pretty good studies. All the studies that have been done involve asana, meditation, and pranayama. So if we can actually realize that those three tools work really well together, even if we only start with a little bit of breath work or just five minutes of meditation because we don't know how to do it very well. We're not clear on how to do that, but we at least start to do a little tasting, do a little Mm -hmm. sampler, right? And then we start to allow ourselves to be open to longer periods of time with a good teacher or with a good workshop where we can get into those other tools that all of these tools are going to be helpful combined in the right mixture for you. They're going to support your healthy aging goals over time. And I have to tell you that When I went to India in 2005 to spend a month studying with the Desikachar family in Chennai and the southeastern coast of India, one of the great take-home messages for me was that they have a shifting emphasis on the yoga tools as people get older. When you're a little kid, they have children that come in who are, you know, I don't know, 10 and younger, 
And they are doing like this crazy vinyasa-y kind of practice because they're little kids and that's what their energy and their stage of development needs. Lots of change, really quick, playful, fun, uh, moving a lot, not a lot of sitting still. When they get to the teenage years, the practices become almost a little bit more like an Iyengar practice where they're challenging them to hold poses longer. They're Discipline, doing control, impulse. Phys- like. Physical holds and things, you know, inversion, stuff like that. And then when you get to the householder stage, you start to do more what they call mini vinyasas, where you go back and forth between two shapes for six repetitions. And then you do something else. It's not really like a traditional vinyasa class in America now, but it's very interesting, mixed with more pranayama and more meditation. And then for the older adults that might be near retirement age, it's a very small mini vinyasa practice addressing what you need at that stage of life. And then a lot of pranayama and a lot of meditation. That's the, it's like your yoga ages in a beautiful way with you to help you age healthfully through that period. Now, we don't have a lot of examples of that in the West, really, but I've tried to bring some of that, what I thought was very wise uh, application of the tools back, and I try to share that with my students as they get older. So we still do asana practice, but if we're on retreat or at a workshop, we might do a little bit more breath work uh, than we would normally do in class. We might have a longer meditation just so they start to see that there's a different ratio of balance that might have different Mm -hmm. uh, relevance for them as they get older. Imagine a yoga studio that would have classes per like age bracket instead of level of, you know, <laughs> like physical capacity. Yeah. That would be so interesting. Yeah, and well, and to that, I would tell you, Erica, that there's a couple studios in the Bay Area where I live that actually have classes called for adults 50 and over. Uh, one woman has a class called Yoga for Old Stiff Dudes. So at least the name of the class tells you that this is for a certain group of people And if that resonates with you, come and practice with us, right? So I think that people are gradually kind of catching on. Mm -hmm. And especially as their students maybe start to age out of their class and they're not showing up and they're like, I'd still like to engage with those students of mine. Maybe I need to actually offer a class just for my students that are 50 or 60 and older. It doesn't mean that it's, and you know, this is the other thing. Those classes don't mean that it's necessarily like chair yoga, which is usually something offered in settings where people are really at a, at a stage where they're having trouble ambulating, getting up and, and walking on their yeah. own easily, right? So it's not necessarily a chair class. It still can be a little bit challenging for them, but it's appropriate. And they're in a group of people where no one's caring about having to cater to the 21-year-old who wants to do power flow, right? Because those people show up in some of my classes and they're kind of doing their power flow over in the corner and everyone's going, What's going on over there? But that's because, you know, that person actually has something that they need. And my class Mm -hmm. isn't fulfilling that. And I, part of me feels bad for them because I can't give that to them right now, but I can at least like steer them to my powerful favorite teacher at the studio after class is done. Right. And we'll all be, everyone will be on their correct path after that. But there is that, that tendency now for some of those specialized classes to show up more and more. That's great. Yeah. Just to come back to pranayama, because I saw a study that I thought was pretty fascinating on how pranayama is one of the practices that has a really, really strong anti-aging effect on the cells and the skin. And I don't know if you know anything about this, but that just the practice of, they were testing different styles of breath, just the practice of focusing on your breath and oxygenating your body more was on its own anti-aging for your skin and your organs. 
which I thought was really, really fascinating. You know, I don't know that I've seen that study. And I would, if you have the link somewhere, please send that to me because I'd love to read that. That sounds fascinating. My, one of my teachers, when I first started out, used to say, you know, if I could promise people weight loss and really good skin, I would always have a full classroom, right? <laughs> so yeah, maybe, exactly. now we, maybe now we can promise that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Wouldn't that be great for Richard Rosen to be able to tell his students, hey, listen, you know, stick with me and your skin's going to be great all the way till the end. I don't all think the way to the would. <laughs> That'd be so great. But what we what we do know about the pranayama is it kind of comes back to the you know interactions between the nervous system, the stress response, the neurotransmitters, the hormonal molecules that are signaling what's going on, the ability for these practices that bring us into a more harmonious way of living, and how that affects our endocrine organs. All this, you know, it's quite complex when you try to understand it in its totality. And yet there's this apparent simplicity that if you are utilizing the correct tools, which aren't necessarily terribly sophisticated, that you can get some pretty profound benefits from those things, right? So, you know, I think it's great. And I, I look forward to reading that particular study. Um, we actually know that the pranayama technique, this comes from some work I did over the last two years during the pandemic on ways in which yoga might help with COVID, preventing COVID, treating active COVID, and helping people with long COVID. We know that doing Brahmari breath, the humming bumblebee breath. Mm -hmm. mm, Love that one. That that actually stimulates the production of nitric oxide, a molecule our body produces in the sinus cavities. And nitric oxide, it's bacterial and virucidal. It kills bacteria and viruses in the local environment. It also travels down into the lungs when we take a deep breath in, and it promotes better movement of oxygen and carbon dioxide in and out of the lungs. So it it supports better respiratory function. And when it gets into the bloodstream, because it gets absorbed into the bloodstream at the area of the lungs, the uh, alveoli, it actually relaxes the arteries of the body so it can help regulate blood pressure. So here's, it's not exactly, I don't know if that's going to help my skin. I I suspect over time it would if my cardiovascular system is healthier, right? If my respiratory system is healthier. Think about smokers and how terrible their skin looks after 20 years, 30 years of smoking. Yeah. Literally, their skin is gray and ashen and it's a result of their cigarette smoking, right? So there's another study that had been done that shows that uh, Bromery not only supports the increased production of nitric oxide, it does it, it increases it by 15 times the normal amount that we get by breathing in and out through our nose. So when we breathe in and out through our nose, that alone increases nitric oxide. If we add the hum in on the exhale, levels go up 15 times. Wow. And studies have been done that show that higher the normal levels of nitric oxide in the bloodstream have no negative impact. So it's not like you're going to overdose on nitric oxide, right? So again... Mm-hmm. I love this because here I've got a simple, oh my God, this is one of my favorite practices to teach my students because it teaches them how to extend their exhalation without talking about lengthening their exhalation. They simply naturally make the exhale longer because they're humming, right? So simple, beautiful, brilliant stuff. I just love it. Yeah, love it too. And I wish we could keep talking forever, (laughs) but (laughs) we're going to wrap this up. So anything else you want to add before we finish? If there's like one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave with or something you think is important that we haven't touched on? 
Uh, you know, we've really covered so much great material. I would just say, if you're interested in this topic, you know, use that curiosity to get you reading and going to classes on the topic. You know, the beautiful thing about being involved in the area of yoga for healthy aging is that over the last, I guess, let's see, six years, I've trained, I've, I've been involved in training several hundred teachers around the country and internationally who now are certified teachers of yoga for healthy aging. So check out your community and look for one of those teachers. They've been doing it for years now and they are probably mm -hmm. teaching really great classes and find a class and start doing that and learn about all those tools that you might not be familiar with. And then if you're really excited about the topic, I've got some great trainings coming up in the next three months. So they can go online and look at my website and learn all that stuff from there. Perfect. I'll put all the link in the show notes. But in the meantime, can you say where's the best place for people to find you? BaxterBell.com. BaxterBell.com. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you can actually email me at Baxter at BaxterBell.com. How easy is that, easy. right? So, And I've just updated my website this week. So there's all kinds of new great stuff coming up. And it'd be great. To, and if you actually come to me from Erica's podcast, please tell me that. It's so awesome when I find out how you found out about my work. It's just, I love the interconnectedness and I'm so honored that you actually reached out to have me talk with you today. I know if you've interviewed my wife, Melina Mays in the past and my buddy, Richard Rosen, and probably a dozen other people that I'm good friends with. So this is really probably. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Erica. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast anywhere you listen. Participate in our giveaway doing so. Come and connect with us on Instagram at On and Off Your Mat Podcast. You can screenshot you listening to this episode with your takeaways. Check out our membership platform to become a premium member and get your hands on all our exclusive content, including our class library. Find the show notes for this episode at ericabelanger.com slash 127. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast for their support in making this possible, and that includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time.